God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to stand here today and bring your word to my friends. God, I, don't, I, I know you don't need me. And so, God, this morning, I pray that your word would speak, that we would understand it, that we would apply it to our lives and we would leave here different than we came in. I pray this in your name. Amen. I was born September 4th, 1976. When I was born, there were nearing the end of a year-long celebration, not for my birth, but for the birth of our country. Uh, Every year... On yesterday's date, we celebrate that same event, the independence of our country. And yesterday, many of us celebrated with parties and fireworks, and we celebrated with parades, and we got together with family, and we did things to commemorate the day that our country gained its independence And I want to take us back a little bit this morning before I get into God's word so that we fully understand what that day means. I know we're all aware of it. But I want to go back because there's an incredible parallel to the story that we're going to look at in God's word today. And I want us to be able to recognize that by looking at Independence Day. You know, 1775 was a year uh, after the Lexington-Concord battle. There were multiple small battles being waged throughout the year, not for the independence of our country, but for rights that we felt we should have from England, rights that we felt were being destroyed and taken away from some oppression that was being levied on the colonies by King George. Those battles waged and people lost their lives in those battles for that cause. Nearing the end of that, Patrick Henry, giving an address in Virginia, ended his address in this way. Three million people armed in the holy cause of liberty And in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Because, sir, it is not too late to retire from the contest. Sorry, it is too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to accentuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains or slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That end to his address 
marked a significant change in the attitude of the people of the colonies, the leaders of the colonies. What was a war against the oppression of their homeland for the rights that they were losing now became obvious to Patrick Henry as a totally different war. He realized that they were not going to win the war they were fighting. They were going to have to start a new type of war. They were going to have to start a war trying to win independence. That sentiment, in varying degrees, gained traction throughout the colonies. It was not an easy thing. People who were loyal to England and King George were very fierce about their loyalty. And in order to gain their support, leaders like Patrick Henry, like Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, John and Samuel Adams, these men had to go before the colonies and before their leaders, and they had to try and convince them why they needed such support to pull away from the country which they had all served loyally. Five men were assigned the task of drafting a document to declare that separation that they desired. That was penned by Thomas Jefferson. They were looking for freedom, not just a change of the rules, they were looking for a complete freedom from England. They wanted to establish a new nation, one founded on liberty and equality and the freedom to worship Christ and to govern themselves. And on July 2nd, 1776, in a meeting of the Continental Congress, they voted to approve that separation. I want us to understand this morning, that was not an easy decision. That was not a spur of the moment, hey, I'm sick of this type of decision. But that was worked on and developed over time. And the oppression kept weighing on them. The the new taxes kept weighing on them. All of these things began to weigh on them to the point that they had to make a change. And it was a serious thing that they were doing. On July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was approved as the declaration, the written down commitment to this new cause. Those men who had worked so hard to make it, to put it down on paper, signed their names to it. This was a serious thing. Signing their names to that document was an act of high treason, punishable by death by hanging. They were about to lose everything if this went wrong. But they signed their names. Not only did they sign them, John Hancock signed his extra big. Not because he was the first and didn't know how big he was supposed to do it. He signed it bigger than everyone else for a reason. He said he wanted to make sure that King George was able to see his signature without having to put his spectacles on. This was something he believed in. This was something the colonies believed in. They they believed that it needed to happen. 
And they were willing to, to stake everything on seeing it come to fruition. And on July 4th, every year, we celebrate that act, that act of bravery and courage. Most of the men, uh, in August of that year, it was signed by Congress. 56 names were on that document. 56 acts of high treason. Copies of that declaration were sent to George Washington, who read it to his troops because they were ready for what would come. This was going to change everything. I want us to turn this morning to the book of Joshua. July 4th is the day that we remember that act, the Declaration of Independence from England. We stand here today, we sit here today, and we worship God in this church because we won that freedom through that declaration and the wars that came after it. We have the opportunity to look at God's word in freedom this morning because of that decision. But I want us to look at Joshua this morning because there is an interesting parallel in God's word that I want us to consider together today. Joshua chapter 24, it's the last chapter of the book of Joshua. I want to set the stage for us here, what's going on. The people of Israel have been led out of Egypt to the precipice of the promised land. They were afraid to go in it. The two men, Joshua and Caleb, they trusted that God could do that for them. God punished the people for their lack of faith, but he allowed Joshua to lead those people after a long, hard, terrible time in the desert, in the wilderness. He gave Joshua the, the rule to lead those people into the promised land, and that was not easy. There were wars to be fought. There were trials to be dealt with. There were other side things going on. And in chapter 24 of Joshua, Joshua's towards the end of his life, and he's giving an address to the Israelites because something is about to happen. They're about to complete the conquest of the promised land. They're about to move into a new land and establish a new nation, God's nation, the nation of Israel, in the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. Here they stand on the precipice, and Joshua wants to give an address to his people. Going back to the de Declaration of Independence, when it was penned, I don't know when the last time you read it was. I, re I took the time to read it on Friday. I've read it before. It's been a long time. But when I read it Friday, I was again moved by the passion with which it was written. It wasn't just written to declare their independence from Great Britain. But in addition 
they laid out the reasons why they felt that that was their only course of action. They laid out a list of grievances against King George, the taxes, the oppression, the slavery, all the things that he had done that made it impossible for them to continue. They laid all that out because they wanted the people who were signing that. They wanted the people who would stand behind it to remember what it was like. They wanted them to remember all that had been going on and to see that this was a moment where they needed to make a decision. We either continue this way or we start something new. Joshua, in chapter 24, in the first 13 verses, is doing the same thing, except he is laying out for the Israelite people all the things that God had done for them over the course of their history as a people. He wanted to lay out everything that God had done so that there was a clear vision of the past, all that they had been through. Verse 2 starts, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from behind the river and led him through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out of it. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land. And I destroyed them before you. And he goes on to list the things that God had done for him. And it comes to verse 12. He said, I sent a hornet before you which drove them out before you and two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. This is a passionate recollection by Joshua of what God had done for them. And what he wants to make extremely, exceedingly clear for the Israelite people is, this isn't about you. This isn't something you did. We stand here on the precipice of the promised land. We have conquered nations. We have gone through terrible things, and we didn't do any of it. God did it. He says in verse 14, Now therefore, because of all of that, having laid out all that God had done, now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Patrick Henney said, I I don't know what you're going to do, but for me, give me liberty or give me death. Joshua said, I don't know what you're going to do, but for for me, God's all I need, and I'm going to follow him. He said, you've got to make a declaration today. Choose this day whom you will serve. But he wasn't making a declaration of independence. What they had gone through was positive. It was a blessing. God had taken care of them. He was making a declaration of dependence on God. And he's asking, as he asked those people, it's in God's word because God is asking us today to make a decision, to make a choice, to declare our dependence on God. Joshua asked them to make a decision. He didn't force them. Our country was founded on the idea of freedom of religion, being able to worship God the way you want to worship God. The founders of our nation wanted to be able to worship God the way the Bible says we ought to. Joshua said to his people, you can serve other gods. You can serve the gods of Mesopotamia, the ones Abraham served before God met him and gave him direction. He said, you can serve the gods of Egypt, the gods that you knew when you were in slavery in Egypt. You can serve the gods of the Canaanites, whom we've spent seven years battling with to claim this land. He said, you can choose what you want to do. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why was that his decision? It was because he had just laid out the best reason possible for choosing God. The God that that Joshua chose to, to follow, to serve, was not a God created by human hands like we just sang. But this was a living, powerful God who was continually blessing his people and he wanted to do everything he could to serve him. Joshua had to make a decision. And Joshua was calling his people to make a decision. He was asking them to stop riding the fence. You see, the people of Israel, having gone through all that they had been through and all of that time, They had been in different lands and in different places and they had picked up the gods and the idols of of the man-made gods that the other nations served and they were carrying them along with them and they were trying to mix that in with their following of God and they were trying to make the best of both worlds. And Joshua was trying to clear them up on something here. He said, you can either choose God or you can choose the other ones. As for me, I'm choosing God. See, there was no riding the fence. He wanted them to understand that there was one of two choices. You either followed the living God or you were against him. 
as Samuel Adams and others tried to convince the colonies to break away from England. There were many who were loyal to England. They had been for a long time. Those loyalties ran very deep. He wanted them to understand that if they were to sign the Declaration of Independence, if they were to approve the Declaration of their independence from England, they were making a choice. And it was one or the other. You were either loyal to England or you were part of this new plan. There was no in-between. And Joshua wants the people of God to know there is no in-between. You either serve God or you're against God. The people responded. They said in verse 16, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all in the way that we went? And among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove us drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is God. That's the response Joshua was looking for, but he challenged them here. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away foreign gods that are among you and incline in your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. Just like those men who believed in the cause of a new land, a United States of America, they signed their name to a document because they were willing to do the work that it took. They were willing to follow through with all that it meant to sign that document. Joshua here is asking the people, they they wanted to just use their words and say, yeah, we'll serve God. He wanted them to understand this was not going to be easy. God's not interested in your lip service. He wants you to act. He wants you to follow him. And it's going to be a long road. He wants you to follow him the rest of the day of your days. If you choose to follow God, he wants your 100% total commitment. Having done that, having given Joshua that commitment, they signed a covenant. Covenant. Verse 31 says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who wore out or who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. They stuck with that commitment. They followed through. If we're riding the fence this morning, we're somewhere in between, we're not sure if that's really what we want to do, give 100% to God. 
follow him completely, trust him completely, depend on him. Joshua's charge to his people is a charge to us this morning. We need to make a choice. Who are we going to serve? You can't serve them both. We need to choose. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 21 says, And Elijah came near to all the people. Facing a similar problem, Elijah said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. It's always a choice. And it's always a clear choice. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. Joshua wanted them to understand that, and they understood it and committed to it and followed through on it. This morning, as we look at this story in Joshua, I want us to understand that this this applies to us as well. There is no in-between. We either choose to follow God or we choose something else. We don't kind of follow God. It doesn't work that way. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't really sense your need to commit to God. You don't understand why that's necessary. Maybe you do understand to some degree why you need God, but your pride just won't let you give in and go go 100% towards him. Maybe you're really just too busy to think about it. Maybe you don't have the time to really put some time and effort into thinking about it. Just like the men who worked on the the Declaration of Independence didn't just write it down the night before. They spent time thinking about what they were doing. They spent time getting behind the idea. And today is the day that we need need to make a decision about who we're following. And we need to think about that, the weight of it. We need to understand the stakes Here are the stakes. We are a fallen people. We are sinners who cannot save ourselves. We have not met the standard of God and we deserve, because of that, destruction and separation from God. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live as a man without sin for the specific purpose of paying our penalty and giving us the ability to turn to God today and say, I, I put my trust in you. I depend on you. To make a declaration today of dependence on God alone for our salvation. To say that I know I can't do anything to earn my way to heaven, but I'm willing to put my faith in what your son did on the cross. And I'm willing to follow you as my Lord. Maybe you've made that decision, but you're sitting here this morning and you know it's time to rededicate your life to God. To turn back to the things that you know you ought to be doing. Maybe you've been distracted by the world and the things that keep us busy and things that grab our attention and you know that today is the day that you need to make a decision, a declaration that you're going to start depending on God again. That you're going to walk with him every day. Today is the day to make that decision. 
As Joshua said, choose this day. There's no time to waste. What does it look like for us to depend on God? If we make that decision today, maybe today you for the first time decided that you're going to trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. You're going to let go of all the things that you've been trying to do to earn your favor with God and you're going to trust now just in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for your salvation. Maybe you've decided today, you know what, I did that and I have not been living for him and today is the day that I change that. Today is the day that I follow him 100%. What does it look like for those who are following him? I want you to turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy. As I wrap up my sermon this morning, I want to take a look at what Paul says a life totally committed to God ought to look like. After describing how Jesus had come to save sinners like us, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. What does the life of a person who is sold out for God look like? What does the life of someone who has made a declaration of dependence on God look like? Well, first of all, it's prayer. If we're sold out, for God and following him and we're totally dependent on God then prayer is a mark of our lives you see prayer is the greatest demonstration of our faith in God it is the greatest demonstration of our recognition of our dependence on God it's how we live out our faith when we pray to God we are demonstrating to God that we know we can't do it ourselves And we need his help. It's a recognition of of our dependence on God. Prayer is the mark of a life of someone who is sold out, dependent on God. As we think about the idea of prayer, we think about our own personal lives and we think about the things that we need and our, our deepest desires and we think about praying for those things. But he says, I want you to pray for all people. I want you to pray for the needs of others, still recognizing that God can, even outside of our own efforts, God can provide for the needs of others. Furthermore, he says, for rulers and authorities, and we all are very clear about the fact that the ideals that were set up on July 4th, 1776, are not necessarily the same ideals that are going on today, but rather than get up in arms about the leaders that we have or the other things that are going on, we need to get on our knees and begin to talk to God about those things. We need to pray for our rulers. Because no matter how much power they have, 
Even if they're the most powerful man in the free world, they are no comparison to God himself. As we spend time on our knees before God, he answers prayer because he can, because he's powerful enough to do it, but above that, because he loves us enough to do it. He cares for us. God blesses those nations which follow after him. He mentions another mark here. He says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our Savior. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. If we understand our true dependence on God, if we understand like Joshua did, all that God has done for us, then our reasonable response would be, to follow him with our lives, to live in a way that honors him, to do the things that please him, to live a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. Why? He says this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one one God And there was one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. You see, when we live in a way that honors God, when we understand our dependence on God, we understand our dependence on God's word. And when we dig into God's word and we understand what it says we ought to be doing and we follow that, then people no longer see our efforts. They see what God is doing through us. And because of that, they become aware of who God is. They see the love of God in our lives. And it brings them closer to him, where he can change their lives with the gospel. Those who have declared a dependence on God are to be a praying people. And we are to live righteously. And I want to close us this morning with a quote. You guys know, the, most of you know the end of the quote that I read earlier from Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. We've all heard it. I want to share another quote from Patrick Henry with us this morning as we close. He said this, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. And not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. We can get involved in politics. We can get involved in lots of different things that take our attention, but one thing matters, and that alone, we need to make a decision on who we're serving. And if we're going to serve God, we've got to serve him 
We've got to be on our knees talking to him, fellowshipping with him, fellowshipping with him. And we have to live out. You see, the men who signed the Declaration of Independence, many of them were wealthy at the time that they signed it. Many of them had prestige and power, and most of them lost everything for the cause of liberty. Everything. Many who were rich died penniless. Many lost their homes and their families. They gave everything they had to make sure that we could sit here this morning and discuss God's word together. That was their goal. Patrick Henry understood the value of the gospel. If we are a people who understand our dependence on God, and we're spending time in prayer, depending on God through that discipline, and we're spending time in God's word and then living it out in our lives, the people around us are going to see that. They're going to know Christ because of our lives. We're going to be able to share with them the gospel. As we change the people around us, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, by living out the gospel in front of them, suddenly those things that seem so important in politics don't seem so important anymore because lives are being changed. And as lives are changed for Christ, there are more Christians voting And they're voting for people who are following Christ and our country changes because of God, not us. We need to choose this day whom we will serve. Let's pray together and we'll close. God, I want to live like this. I know I don't do that perfectly. I know that Joshua didn't do it perfectly, God, but he was committed every day to choosing you. It wasn't a choice that he made one time, God, but he made it every day because he wanted to follow you and honor you with his life because he knew all that you had done for him. And God, I stand here this morning recognizing all that you've done for me and I'm sorry that I often don't follow you like I should. I know, God, how much I need you, and I declare today my dependence on you. I recognize how much I need you, and I want you to lead my life. God, I pray that my friends here in this church would feel the same and that we would leave here different people because of your word. Thank you, God, for what you're teaching me this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.